baby, what time is it? <laughs> Welcome back. Um, wherever you are listening to us, as you just heard, we are MMA Fancast. My name is Jim Mooney. My podcast partner is Luke Payson. Um, to what you're going to be hearing from us today is our experiences. We got a big podcast coming up um, to talk about our experiences at 247 Fighting Championships Steel Town Throwdown number one because uh, there is an event that was announced that night july 27th is steel town throwdown two and as we get closer we're going to be um, talking to some fighters and giving you more coverage in the lead up to that fight but uh, luke and i were both involved in different aspects of uh steel town throwdown and 247 fighting championships first event and i'm going to start off with luke i've got a few things that i want to share um, before we actually go to our interview, our uh, interview is going to be with Ethan Goss, one of the fighters. Um, but I'm going to start off with Luke and get his take on his experience with, with the fights, how things went, uh, his takeaways, and going forward for the promotion. Yeah, well, you know, I, I think for all of our listeners, if you've never been to a fight, particularly uh, a professional MMA fight, it was nice. 247 Fighting Championships had professionals and amateurs and it's always nice to see the developmental between. You could definitely tell a difference between the amateurs and the pros. Nothing to take away from the amateurs. It's great to see them learn. But the professionals just bring in a different level. Um, and I, I think seeing it live, a lot of the comments that were made to me from some of the fans on the way out was that watching UFC or Bellator or 1FC or any of those WSRS or, or the old strike force, you kind of get a sanitized version you know, because you're not live. You don't really – you don't really experience it live. Experiencing MMA fight live is very, very powerful and impressive. Um, I thought it was good. I know we're going to do, Jim, um, an entire show just on our roles and what we've learned and kind of what that was. Um, I'm looking forward to Ethan because we're going to do an after-action review with him where we, where we get his take on the fight. He was victorious, but hear it from him. And I think that's another thing that comes up a lot when you're interviewing fighters is that it's great interviewing a fighter before the fight, you know, because they're all basically roughly going to say the same thing. I've trained really hard. I can't wait to fight. I'll be prepared. But after the fight is really the opportunity for them um, to kind of weigh in on where they were, maybe some things that went in a surprising way, things like that. But I'd say overall, I was impressed. One word uh, is impressed. To keep it short, I'm impressed. Anytime you start a promotion from ground zero, which is what, Ryan Middleton, the owner of 247 Fighting Championships, did. It's impressive to get to get the publicity he did, to see the billboards he did, to see some of the behind-the-scenes stuff he did, to see the, the level of fighters, comma-worthy, some of the other pros, the reception of the fans, the number of people there. 
I mean, it could have been half as many people in attendance and I still would have said it was a success. You know, I mean, there was, it's, it's a big deal to pull off uh, a brand new promotion. And so I would say overall, I'm going to keep it short. The next time we talk, we'll make it a bigger deal on kind of what our roles were, but I'm going to say it was a success and impressive. Jim, if you had to take one or two words, what would be your one or two word synopsis of the event? Uh, respect and admiration. Um, respect because, you know, I grew up playing uh, multiple sports. I played baseball, hockey, basketball, football, but longevity, I was uh, a baseball player. And one of the things that I remembered um, vividly is beginning of baseball season, spring training, we would always go back to the fundamentals. And now watching, you know, Major League Baseball, I see so many fundamental blunders by these professional athletes and baseball players, and it's, it's frustrating to watch that. And I think part of that is because it has become a profession to them, and some of the love or the passion may have died down or dwindled, you know, that fire that, that burns inside for that young baseball player, or in this case, you know, we're talking about MMA, for that MMA athlete. So respect, the reason I brought that up is because I think on the regional events, in hearing our uh, interview with, uh, with Ethan Goss later on, it's one of the things that we talked about. It seems like there is more of a, uh, a respect and mutual admiration for, uh, for the fighters, for their opponents, for, uh, for the corners, and I think the fans are closer to uh, to the action and they have um, they have a, a rooting interest because regional events are supported by family and friends and and that atmosphere is hard to create when you're going to say a UFC event or Bellator so uh, you know those were my two big takeaways and the words that I would use to uh, to describe that but yeah in general. Uh, like you said, I think the event was a success. And the next podcast, we will get into the different aspects of our involve, involvement, I apologize for that, with um, 247 Fighting Championships. So as I mentioned before, we have a special guest. He is Ethan Goss. Ethan is coming off of a victory in his last bout, and it was for 247 Fighting Championships with their inaugural event at Princegate Arena in Cannonsburg, PA. Um, he finished that with a rear naked choke, and I uh, want to get some uh, some insight from Ethan now. So, Ethan, my first question for you is, do you have anything lingering, any injuries um, from that fight, anything you got to recover from? Uh, no, absolutely not. Not at all this time. Uh, you know, I mean, everything went pretty smoothly uh, That in that area. Uh, no injuries whatsoever. Uh, no stiffness, no soreness. Everything worked out pretty great. And it's always a good one when you come out feeling like that. Yeah. So um, your last three victories were by stoppages. And uh, I was just curious, was there a change in your camp? I know you had mentioned the last time we talked to you that uh, that you got a new coach. And I didn't know if – I don't think we talked about this, Was but was there a change in your camp, a focus for um, proactively – um, seeking out stoppages, or is that something that you let the fight present itself as it comes to you? Patience is uh, the key there, buddy. Um, you know what I mean? You can't – everybody wants to go out there and hope for that wild overhand right, right in the first punch of the fight to uh, win by a knockout or catch somebody in a submission early. But, uh, you know, it's an art. 
I mean, that's why it's called mixed martial arts. It's an art, and uh, there's there's you know there's styles to this. So uh, patience, being patient in there is what we did. You know, I just start uh, started uh, you know trying to trying to look at things and trying to see things and uh, make the adjustments that that I needed to make while I was in there, and then pull the trigger when it was time to pull the trigger. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's interesting you say that because uh, Luke and I did an interview a while back, and one of the uh, the fighters said that um, his preference—I mean, he'll he'll take the knockout or the TKO if he can get it, but he preferred to get some sort of stoppage, like a submission, um, over a TKO because he felt like that was him imposing his will on the other fighter, mm-hmm. and that you know, that opponent had to give in versus what in his mind was like with a, a, a knockout, anything can happen in MMA. And, you know, sometimes you get the lucky shot that right. knocks somebody out versus um, the stoppage with the submission, because that is you putting together everything that you did in, in your fight camp. And it comes to fruition with, uh, with that victory and your opponent tapping out to you yeah i uh, i agree with that um i actually i think a, a good example of this is uh when cody garbrandt beat dominic cruz um in in my opinion cody cody had the opportunity to finish dominic cruz yeah um but i felt like cody wanted to beat dominic cruz and to show the world that he was better than dominic cruz and that was why he didn't pull the trigger on a couple times when he had him you know severely hurt and uh, you know, I I can understand that. You know what I mean, guys. Guys want to show that that they've improved or that they're the better, you know, the better fighter that's in the ring at the, that time. Uh, so yeah, I completely understand that. Yeah, you know, one of the things I um, I recall about the lead up in that fight is how Cody's performance was totally opposite of what what we saw, or at least you know, my opinion of what I saw coming from Garbrandt in the lead up with the press conferences and the different interviews that you seemed like he was losing his cool anytime him and Dominic were, you know, had to confront each other, you know, some sort of interview or press conference. It just seemed like yeah. Dominic was, Cruz was level headed and never got worked up and Cody was ready to go at yeah. the top of a hat right there. But then once that fight came, it was all Cody and he was calm, cool and collected throughout the whole fight yeah. and imposed his will. Uh, Cody, Cody fought the perfect fight that night. You know what I mean? He took, he took Dom. He, he basically beat Dom at his own game. You know, he controlled the distance, which is one thing that Dom has, uh, been pretty much unstoppable of yeah. until that fight. Uh, you know, Cody, Cody did all the right things in that fight. He was patient. He fought smart. Uh, you know, he, like I said, he controlled the distance and he controlled the timing and, uh, he, he beat Dom at his own game. And uh, like I said, and I, I fully believe this on any given day, Cody can be Cody can be the champion. You know, I think he's just in his own head right now with it, with uh, his last couple fights and how they went. But well, it'll be interesting to see with the TJ suspension because there's uh he kind of has a case for saying that he lost twice to TJ, who now has been proven to be to be cheating. But I had a follow up question for uh, Jim was talking to Ethan about kind of the build up to fights at the UFC level, the build-up to fights sometimes is a fight in and of itself, emotionally and mentally. How is it for you 
to come into a fight without that buildup? Would you like more buildup to get you psyched? Or do you like it at regional MMA? It's more you, you show up and you do your fighting and there's not a lot of uh, nobody's following you around with UFC embedded and nobody's asking you press questions before. Which one do, would you prefer? More of a buildup or less of a buildup? Um, you know, to me, I don't, I don't think it really matters to me. Uh, I know to get where I want to go, you know, that's yeah. part of the game. Sure. That's, that's part of what you have to do. So I'm okay with doing that. But, uh, me personally, like I don't, I don't have to get mad or, you know, mm. cause a big scene or, and I know guys do that to, uh, you know, promote the fight and stuff. But me personally, it's, I, I would just rather be myself. Sure. Um, you know, being yourself, you know, e even in the buildup and everything, being yourself is, is what, what wins fans over, is what, what makes people uh, grow on you or you grow on people. Um, you look at you know, guys like Connor, everyone's seen what Connor did. Uh, yeah. Connor, Connor is, that's Connor. You know what I mean? That's, yeah. that's who he is. He's just wild and crazy. Uh, Donald Cerrone, everybody loves the cowboy and because he is who he is. And right. whether it's fighting or whether – no matter what it is. I mean, you look at professional wrestling, the biggest stars in, in the WWE or the guys that portrayed themselves on the camera, The Rock, Stone Cold, John Cena. I mean, those guys all played themselves. They were their character. Well, right. Um, and, and it's the same as fighting. One of the things that comes up with John Jones is that people have often said that he's not genuine. And, you know, some of his, some of his stuff early in the cage when he was all about – talking one way but acting another way and they first came out with the Rashad Evans fight when the gym split because of Jackson Winklejohn anyhow one of the things that came out on Evan is just John could have come onto the scene and just been like the Tito where people hated him loved to hate him you know yeah. um, and and it's interesting that one of the things that John Jones has done more with all the on and off and up and downs that he had is there's times where he just seems to be okay with being, like, to borrow WWE word, a heel. And John Jones, as an incredibly talented person, would probably have been completely okay in MMA as just the guy people love to hate because he's so good, but yet you don't like him. Kind of yeah. like Tom Brady. And it's one of those things where it's interesting. I, I think I appreciate you and any fighter where if you are the Conor McGregor and you're going to talk a lot of trash and that's who you are and you're kind of disrespectful, but you, you got to be okay with that, like Conor is. In your no. case, be respectful and go from there. Um, absolutely. Like I said, I mean, it's it's all about being yourself. Um, you gotta you got to portray – you have to be the – live the character that you're portraying. You know what I mean? Um, to me, it doesn't matter. You know, at the end of the day, I'm there to do one thing. I don't. I don't need to hype the fight. I don't need to to uh, cuss and swear at my opponent. I don't need to call him out. I don't need to have an anger issue for him. For for me to fight him because uh, at the end of the day, I mean, we we can be mad, we can be happy, but we're fighting no matter what. Whether we shake hands before the fight or whether whether we're ready to rip each other's throat out before the fight, at the end of the day, we're fighting. So. Yeah. You know, that's uh, one of the things that I really, really noticed, uh, to me anyways, that stood out and seemed to be a difference between regional MMA and when you see something, you know, what I would call the big show or, you know, the big production value with UFC or even Bellator. Um, and that is, I, I feel like there's a greater sense of respect for your opponent because you don't have the platform 
or the uh, the media exposure to to do the trash talk and try to sell the fight. So it's two fighters coming in, trying to showcase their talents and get the victory. But at the end of the day and at the end of that fight, that respect is there and it hasn't changed for the worse. If anything, the respect is gained more for uh, for each other when that fight is over, regardless of who wins or loses. That's what I, that was one of my takeaways from from that last fight at 247 um, Seal Town Throwdown. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. Um, I mean, anyone that has, obviously, that has the guts or, or the uh, the courage to step in the ring and, and to fight in front of a thousand people or thousands of people or, or whatever it might be, um, you know, you, you deserve some type of respect one way or another uh, for, for even doing that because, I mean, 99% of the people in the world don't do this. And uh, 99% of that people don't end up becoming professional fighters. You know what I mean? So there's there's very few of us that do it. And the few of us that do do it, you know, I believe everyone deserves some type of respect before they step in that ring. I'm going to give you a little fun fact you said about my my three of my last finishes. Um, I have five wins as a pro. I have four finishes. I have one knockout. And one submission, both come at 45 seconds of the first round. I have one knockout and one submission that also both come at three minutes and 59 seconds of the second round. I don't know what that means. Oh, I, don't know what, I don't know what the universe is trying to tell me there, but, uh, you know, I just thought that was a little weird. Yeah, that uh, is interesting. We're going to have to um, check the 45-second uh, the mark of your next fight and then you said 359 into the second round yeah yeah my my knockout right before this this last fight was at three minutes and 59 seconds yeah the second round and then the submission came at the exact same time yeah so okay so while we're talking about your last fight Cavender he came into the fight with three professional losses coincidentally or maybe not so all by rear naked show and that's how you ended up finishing him. I feel like I remember you saying something in in the ring after the fight, like that's what you were going to do. And I could be wrong on that. but No, um, you're right. Okay. So <laughs> before, um, like leading up to the fight, were you aware of, of his losses, his record? And maybe that was something that he was susceptible to? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I watched watched every single f- professional fight that he had. Um, I watched what happened when he went to the ground. Uh, I'm not taking anything away from Elijah, but uh, his style, he was too comfortable with being on the ground. He was too comfortable with being on his back, which yeah. which happens to a lot of, uh, you know, heavy jiu-jitsu mentality guys. I'm not saying he was that, – that was his main mentality, but – that happens to a lot of guys that, that are, you know, that's their main main art that they, they train at or what they're better at. Um, and I, I, I knew Elijah gave up his back a lot, and I knew when he did give up his back that uh, it was it was pretty much only a matter of time before he ended up giving up the choke. And uh, so I, I told my camp, you know, before that, that I felt that I was going to finish him and I felt that I was going to submit him. And, uh, you know, that's – kind of a, what what I would call the law of attraction. Um, but like I, in the post that I made after uh, after the fight, you know, the, the law of attraction does work. It is real. 
and you don't have to be obnoxious for that to happen either. Um, as talking into the buildup, like when we talked before the fight, you know, when anybody ever asked me about what the game plan is, um, I'm never going to give out my game plan, obviously. And uh, my main main thing that I'm always going to say before a fight is that either he's going to whoop my ass or I'm going to whoop his, but somebody's getting. And you know, you bring up a you bring up a good point that sometimes I think in build up while we were talking about that in build up sometimes people might go a little bit too far and give away what they're wanting to do you know this is something i actually mentioned when i was interviewing you after the fight i mentioned in the first round that you threw a ton of kicks a lot of creative kicks a lot of kicks you were really dynamic you mentioned that it was you trying to figure them out because of because of the height difference and things like that but in in general was that something that you wanted to show off more to be more proactive with the kicks and kind of be more dynamic? Because you tried a spinning, like, heel, wheel kick, heel kick thing. I called it the the Barbosa versus Terry Edelman kick, you know, that that type kick. Was that a plan or is that just something that happened? Uh, I mean, it was kind of a plan. I worked that kick a lot. Believe it or not, I've been working it for a long time. I actually also hit that kick in my last fight, that exact same kick. Um, what I intend to do is uh, when, I, when I face an orthodox guy, I intend to step off his lead leg right above his knee to get, to get my uh, my elevation. And then I rotate through and try to throw it as a back kick. Um, but in, in the fight with Cavender, like I said, um, a lot of it for me was, you know, figuring out the distance and the timing. Um, I rarely, rarely, rarely have training partners that are taller than me and are longer than me. To, to spar with. So, I mean, at the most, I have guys that are about the same reach as me. And I normally do really well with, uh, you know, controlling distance and, and being, you know, an inch inch outside of their punches, but still able to land. But uh, with a guy like him that was longer, you know, it takes takes me a little bit of time to, to figure it out. Uh, you know, I fought a kid that was even taller than Elijah in my third or fourth pro fight. Um, and uh, you know that was what worked for me. And that fight was throwing a lot of them, a lot of them heavy kicks. Uh, so that that was kind of what I went back to into this. Honestly, I'm about I'm a little disappointed in the stand up and my stand up in that fight because there was uh, I wanted to let let loose a little bit more and be able to engage a little bit more. And uh, I don't I don't know why I, I didn't. But when I did throw my hands, you know, after watching the, the video and the film on it, you know. What I did throw, I did connect on. I just didn't follow up. But uh, that's me being hard on myself. I'm always going to take away. The first thing I'm going to look at is whatever I can do to change to make it better. Well, it's something you said in the buildup when we interviewed you on on this podcast was that you really want to be well-rounded. That's one of the things you want to do. So to me, it makes sense that even though you won convincingly by rear naked choke and he tapped out and, and you had some great stand-up, that you also – are noticing opportunities to have better stand-up, just like you could, uh, uh, you could notice opportunities. Now, I'll ask you a question. Obviously, you finished the the fight by rear naked choke, but you had sort of a weird moment where you kind of had the rear naked choke in, and he was able to. You were in a scramble, and you'd kind of put it in. He was able to like barrel roll or crocodile roll over, and and it, do, do you remember that that yep. situation? And kind of what what happened there? Was it sweaty? Was well, like, he was on? he was fighting for the uh, fighting for the Kimura. And okay. uh, I was I was defending off the Kimura, and ah, you know I kind of I kind of turned the corner 
as he was like rolling up for that Kimura, I kind of turned the corner and I like limp arm, limp armed out. And when I did, I come around his neck and okay. basically I put the, I put the chariot ahead of the horse there. I went around his neck and went for the choke before I had the hook in to secure it. So uh, my he was, leg was there. It should have been, you know what I mean? It could have been hooked. But uh, mm-hmm. like I said, I put the chariot ahead of the horse, went for the neck before I went for the hook. So, uh, and he, he was able to just slide out of it, slide to his back. But uh, like I said, patience, man, patience. Uh, you know, he went to his back. I, I knew I was going to be able to get another opportunity somewhere down the line and uh, was able to open it up with that, that knee. Oh, yeah. That, uh, that he was able to, or that he, he gave up the back then. Shortly after uh, that, that scramble is when you got the choke. Yeah. Um, but Luke had mentioned your heel kick, if I recall correctly. It was right after that that uh, hook kick. Seemed, it was a hook okay. kick. Okay. <laughs> so Cavender um, seemed to get more aggressive in coming towards you and with his punches. And he seemed to, uh, I recall, he landed a right. Um, you were backing up. He connected with a left. Um, and you went back and sort of down. I don't know if it buckled you, uh, but you went down against the cage. And then I'll say, like, within 10 seconds, maybe even less than that, is when you had taken him down. Now, was it him coming forward and you sensed he was going to get more aggressive that you saw an opening to take him down? Kind of, yeah. Um, he he got, like you said, he got, got more aggressive whenever I landed him kicks, which that, to me – shows me that that you know he was either something was going on in his head in his head at the time um he, he didn't like the way the fight was going at the moment or whatever so he, so he started to pick the pace up he did catch me behind the ear he set up that that left hook very nicely and i think i rolled into it almost and he caught me behind the ear and it didn't like it didn't phase me up top my right leg just was like stuck it was like it was stuck in the mud. Like it did. And he hit me right there at the equilibrium, and it was like my right leg didn't want to move. Uh, I knew where I was at. I was coherent, and I knew exactly what to do. As I as I dropped down on the shot, and he pushed me to the fence. I knew he was looking to strike. And uh, if you watch the film for a quick second, you see me put my hand on the mat, as I knew not to, to put I put my hand down because I didn't want to get kneed in the face. And then as I come back up, he uh, he did catch me right in the end of the chin with that knee. Oh yeah. I, when I, I circled out off of it and I thought to myself, nah, this ain't going to go this way. And, uh, you know, he was looking for a firefight and, uh, I was looking to win. Absolutely. As he was coming forward for that firefight is when I timed thought to shoot because he was going to be least expecting it. It was your hand up. Um, when that knee came in, I, I do recall yeah, that, that sequence. His, his knee was legal. Okay. You know, it, it was perfectly legal. I, it was as I started to lift off the mat to come up, is when he threw it. Um, it everything he did was was completely legal, uh, but it, it hit me right square in the end of the chin, and uh, wiggled my jaw. I mean, my jaw was a little sore for a couple of days after it, and I, I I just remember thinking to myself as I like got up and circled out, I was like, Nah, this ain't gonna go this way. One of the things I remember vividly, as if we were uh, talking to you for the first time from the last podcast, and you were talking about your coach, and you said that he's extremely loud. I forget the sequence of questions, but you said that he, you can hear him above anybody else in the crowd, the coaches. And I ended up sitting, like, you know, as I'm watching the fight, I was behind 
the uh, the red corner right over there. Not only was he loud, but he was like slamming his hands down <laughs> on the catwalk, and then he was right next to the steps leading up into the uh, into the cage. And there was a there was one moment where like he was really barking out some instructions, and like he hit his hands down and his body sort of lifted and to the right and the steps went flying. And I don't, yeah, I don't know who it was, but somebody from the commission, I think. Yeah. I heard he got yelled at. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it was, yeah he was very loud. That's for I, sure. I wasn't lying, man. He's, he's, he's as loud as can be. And I love every second of it. You know what I mean? Cause I can hear it plain as day. Uh, when I'm in there, I can hear what he's calling for. I can, I can hear what he's seeing. Or I mean, when he's telling me what he's seeing, uh, I love every second of it. But yeah, like I told you guys, he's definitely loud. He might be the loud, loudest cornerman I've ever ever heard of or seen in my life. <laughs> yeah. well, it's interesting. We asked that question, Ethan, because there are some fighters that that will tell us straight up that they never hear their corners during the during the fight. They hear them in in the breaks in between the rounds. So it's interesting when you as a you as a fighter, and then there's some fighters that listen to their coaches. And I remember there, there was a famous time where Wonderboy Thompson knocked an appoint, opponent out with a with a certain type of kick that his dad called for. And he, he actually said, I heard my dad call for it, and then I threw it. So yeah. it's kind of interesting how everybody's different. Now, this was your ninth professional fight. As a takeaway, what, what was your main takeaway? Because obviously, the more experience you get, you're putting together, you're putting together a nice win. What, what are the takeaways – from this fight, being your ninth fight, having some experience, being more of a veteran, what did you learn? You know, obviously, be be a little more active on the feet in the stand up. Uh, you know, I need to take a little bit more risk. Not not necessarily risk, but need need to engage a little bit more when, when the opportunity is right. Um, there was many many opportunities that I should have pulled the trigger on the feet when he, you know I had him backed up to the fence or I hit him with a clean two piece shot or something. Um, you know that that was one of my biggest takeaways. I'd say for that fight, you know, I, I was I was pretty hard on myself afterward. I, I kept I kept saying it to the coaches over and over and over again. And uh, Darren, the, the the loud one, he just told me just remember everything you're saying because when you come back in the gym, this is what we're working on. So uh, yeah, that that was probably fight wise. Um, that was probably the biggest uh, takeaway that I had of the night. Um, ground game wise, everything worked out as accordingly. Uh, you know, like I said, we watched film on his other fights. He had his moments in a lot of his other fights where he was able to get sweeps or where he was able to, you know, do something offensive when he was on the ground. Uh, this fight, he was, you know, I felt like I controlled him on the ground better than any other fighter that he fought has. So judging by what I seen, of his films and his videos uh, and from what I've seen in our fight. Well, it's a good takeaway when you know your game planning and your skills take away his strengths. I think that's one of the unique aspects with MMA. There's so many ways to win, but there's also so many ways to lose. And one of the things you have to kind of constantly weigh is just because it's his strength doesn't mean it's necessarily uh, not a good place for you. We were talking earlier in, in this conversation about Cody Garbrandt really doing what Dominic Cruz does to Dominic Cruz. Yeah. The thing that I thought, hey, you better try to out-wrestle this guy, ground about him. You should not try to 
you know, stand up and bob and, and do all the footwork. Yeah. But he did it. It worked perfectly. At one point, he knocked Dominic down and stood up and waved him over, like, I'll wait for you to get back up and pointed to him. So it's interesting. Now, now sliding away from, from the post-fight interview as far as how your fight went, which was great. I appreciate all the feedback you gave. Um, as you know, one of the questions that, that Jim and I were talking about going in to your fight was the fact that – or one of the topics was the fact that 247 fighting championships was brand new. And uh, you were excited because it was not super close but closer to home for you. Um, what was the overall – what was your overall impression of 247 fighting champions? You're the first uh, fighter we've been able to ask this question to um, in review. And so we're curious – um, how was it fighting for 247 fighting championships? Uh, it was great. Um, you know, Ryan had all his ducks in a row. Ryan and everybody that, that had uh, everything to do to be involved with it. Um, you know, it was a great show, great crowd. Um, I was blown away by the crowd. Like I said, it was been three years or so since I fought in Pittsburgh. And uh, the way they popped for me, you know, because really I'm an out. I mean, I'm kind of an outsider. I was an outsider as an amateur. I used to come in to fight all the guys from Pittsburgh. And, uh, you know, I, gained, I somehow gained a lot of fans. A lot of people a lot of people like me as an amateur uh, when I was coming out there. And, uh, you know, just to hear them being on my side now, going from being the opposing team to being the, uh, the home team, I guess you could call it. And uh, a lot of people that I didn't know that were, you know what I mean, I didn't personally know that, that might have knew me or seen me fight before that was cheering for me. Um, you know, that was that was great. That was awesome. Uh, I loved, loved hearing it. Loved the crowd. The crowd reacted great. Uh, I felt like the show was ran great. Uh, I didn't get really get to see any of the fights. But, right. uh, you know, I knew – I uh, I knew he was he did a great job with everything the setup everything I felt like went pretty smoothly I knew he had I mean he had a short um, number of fights there was only seven fights but uh, you know with him being a new promotion now that the word's out you know you got guys like me you got guys like Kama yeah uh, you know other people that that fought on this card that are are saying to these younger generations that are coming up hey you know these are good people this is a good show come join the fun. So I, I think you're going to see, I think you're going to see his show expand and grow. In, in my personal opinion, I think you're going to see more fights and more fights, and uh, you, you're going to see a lot of guys looking looking to jump on his card and be a part of that that team. Okay, so we got uh, one or two, maybe two more questions for you. But um, Luke, this is kind of for you. Ethan and I were talking about some things. Uh, a little earlier, and I got some insight into the Wolverine, and he he's into what I would now term um, extreme sports. And he <laughs> shared with me that he used to be a pole vaulter, and I know that you're involved with track, and I was just curious if in your past you had ever um, either coached or participated in the pole vault event. Uh, that's That's a great connection. In fact, what's funny is uh, a couple hours ago, I was just pole vault coaching. I never, I never, I just came from, I just came from a, from a track meet at Bethany College, which is in West Virginia. Um, I've never pole vaulted. I just picked up pole vaulting as a, as a coach this year because of the needs, the needs of my team. I, I typically specialize in um, the high jump, long jump, and triple jump. But this year, I've learned under, uh, under a great coach from West Virginia University, Coach Sand, down at West Virginia University. So uh, 
but I do think, you know, one of the things, and this is great, Ethan, that I didn't know that about you. This is great because one of the things I've always said when, when I was running my own MMA gym, people were like, hey, like, what type of coaching background do you have? I always say, oh, I was a, I was a track coach. You know, people would always laugh because it sounds completely unrelated. But when you think of the field events, the, the technique in the jumps and the throws and the vault, particularly the vault, you're, you're talking high-level intensity. You're talking a lot of, a lot of technique uh, and a lot of opportunities to improve. Now, I'm not saying running is, is, is not challenging. Running challenging. But as a coach, I think, and as an athlete for Ethan, I think having that experience of having to be very technically sound. I mean, in pole vault, you know, Ethan, that mm -hmm. the stuff you have to work on in a microsecond. I mean, I always, I always joke around that the fastest, the fastest hundred meter dash ever run by Usain Bolt was, you know, nine point four seven seconds. I think right around nine five. But but a but a pole vault is two seconds. You know, you're in the air for maybe maybe one point two seconds. You know, so I actually think there's a lot of tie over between some of the technical aspects of some of the more extreme things like, like a, like a pole vault or even like a shot put or a disc, some of those um, high intensity short time, because as a fighter, whether it's jujitsu or striking, like you were mentioning that knee, uh, when you get knee in the, in the jaw, if, if, if you don't react quickly enough, that fight could be over. You know, you, you don't have 10 seconds to respond. You have like half a second. So, yeah. and body awareness. I was just talking to one of my athletes today who's still learning. She, she's new to the sport um, as a college student, which is uh, kind of impressive to try to learn it. Yeah. But what I was talking about is body awareness. So to throw it back to Ethan, uh, what sport do you first remember learning? It doesn't have to be pole vault, obviously. What sport do you first remember learning that depended on your body awareness? Like when do you first remember thinking, oh, I, I have to be better at knowing where my body is? Because that's a lot of fighting, is knowing where your body is in space in a split second. Wrestling. Wrestling. 100%. 100%. I wrestled, uh, you know, most of my whole life, pretty much since second grade, all the way up to I was a senior in high school. Um, you know, wrestling is where I found out, you know, the guy's trying to push me one way and I'm fighting and fighting and fighting him. And then all of a sudden, the last second, like, well, I'm just going to let him take me the way he wants to go and go with it. And, uh, you know, and end up working out in your favor. You end up on top or, or vice versa. Um, yeah, rest, wrestling is where I picked that up from. And uh, I was able to pick it up at a young age in elementary school from wrestling. But as you said, yeah, pool vaulting, I mean, it's technique. Yeah. It's technique. It's everything has to be consistent. Your run down the runway has to be consistent. Your takeoff has to be consistent. Yeah. I mean, your foot should take off. Your last step should be at this exact same spot every single yeah. time. Uh, your drive knee should be driven every single time your swing legs got to be swinging every single time your kicks got to be kicking every single time and your rotation has to be rotating every single time you know what i mean uh, it's it's consistency and you only get that by putting in you know the the training and, and the effort and the work for it um i used to i would practice for hours to the point where the coach would lay across the end of the pit because he said it was time to go home. He's like, you know, you're not doing it anymore. You're going home. You're going home. Uh -huh. So we would do that day in, day out, every day, go over on the weekend, Saturday, Sundays, go in and train, uh, do what we had to do. You know what I mean? Uh, just just because I wanted to be the best that I could be at it. Well, um, I think that's something you brought up, Ethan, when it comes to Cowboy Cerrone. We were talking about him earlier. The, the extreme sport, the, the, the mindset that, you're going to dedicate yourself. I know most of our listeners have no idea 
what goes into pole vaulting, and it seems kind of a bizarre topic, but to try to be the best at any technically uh, necessary, whether it's wakeboarding and some of the uh, some of the water sports that Cowboy Cerrone does, or even something more like another extreme sport or something, it's really about. You hate to use this word, but I think it's accurate. Obsession, right? Part of absolutely. Part of, part of it is to be obsessed with trying to be your best because one of the things Cowboy does so well in his striking, really his whole game, but his striking is all you have to do is give him one opening. Well, why does he take advantage of that? Because he's constantly looking for it. I think something that you're showing in your fight development is the reason why it's so important when you went through pole vault to have those 10 things perfect every single time is because in fighting, if you bring your hand back sloppy one time, you can get knocked out one time. Absolutely. And I think that's what I think that's what consistency because I think one of the things that's so hard about any aspect of MMA is it's not when you're at your best that matters, it's when you're at your worst. Because Absolutely. what you do when you're at your worst is how you're either going to win or lose, you know? Yeah. And that's um, and that's the thing with MMA that's so hard. And uh you know what I mean it's it's when you you get clipped and you're hurt. Yeah. It's it's when you're almost caught in a submission. Um, right. it's just endless drilling, endless training. And a lot of, a lot of fans, I mean, a lot of people know what somewhat what goes into it, but, uh, you know, you always say, you know, you, you might see my failure, but you don't see my sacrifice. Right. Um, you know, it's day in, day out, every day of the week, a grind, you know what I mean? And you have to, you have to put the work in to get anywhere. And it's like that, and no matter what you do, whether it's, you're trying to run your own business or, or do a landscaping business or excavating, whatever it is you might do. If you're not going to put in the work, you're not going to be successful. Um, very few are God gifted talent in, in certain things, but uh, most of it relies on hard work and consistency. Uh, the more consistent you are, the harder you work, the better you're going to be. And, uh, you know, I always say, you know, in the ring or, or whatever, you're going to fall back on the highest level that you're trained at. Uh, there is no, to me, there's no rising to the occasion. It's you're falling back on the highest level that you were prepared at. Absolutely. Well, speaking of consistency and training, uh, where does the Wolverine go from here? We're about a week and a half pushing two weeks after your fight. One of the reasons why we wanted to do these fights, these interviews after the fights, is to kind of get your feedback. Are you at a point where you're thinking about the next fight or a time frame, or are you not even there yet? Where are you with that process? Kinda, I mean, not quite there yet. I actually took, uh, I was planning on taking just a week off from the gym, but I've been trying to catch up on, you know, side work and stuff I put off. Sure. Uh, so I actually took this week off and then, uh, you know, had that stuff. I had a friend pass away yesterday unexpectedly and, you know, just some things happen. Sure. And, uh, so I'm going to end up having the rest of this week off too. And I'll be going back next week. Um, I've already turned down two fights. You know, a lot of times right after you fight, promoters are jumping on you right away. Hey, we want you to fight here in a couple of weeks. You're interested in fighting in a couple of weeks. And it's to me this time, I was like, no, not really. I did that stuff as an amateur where I fought back to back. I fought twice in 10 days, you know, would take fight pretty much once a month for three months in a row. You know what I mean? I, I felt like I, I paid my dues there already <laughs> doing that stuff. Uh, so it. It's not that I don't. It's not that I want to take a break. It's just that I don't want to be rushed. Um, so we're. I mean, next week we're gonna hit the. We go back into the gym and we're gonna pick up right where we left off. We're gonna work on the areas that I think I need to work on, and the areas that my coaches think I need to work on. Whether it be wrestling, whether it be striking, whether it be jujitsu, whatever. 
Um, whatever they think, whatever I think, we'll put our heads together. That's where we'll start, and we'll continue to work on that until we do book a fight and we have a specific opponent to get ready for and a specific style to get ready for. It's a great answer, really well thought out. I think that's, I think that's perfectly balanced. You know, if you're, if you're at a point where you have an established gym with a great coach and a good team around you like you have, then you got to be, you got to be at a good cycle, you know, and recovery is important. Um, and I think it is wise to, to kind of what you said, you know, deal with yourself um, and, and not necessarily rush because the reality is from a promoter standpoint, if you do a two week turnaround or a three week turnaround because you just fought, while that can be great, it can work. Also, once you get in the cage, nobody's worried about whether or not you win or lose other than you, right? The yeah. promoter's just like, hey, he showed up, you waited and he's in the cage. So, being selfish or at least a little self-focused is important. And then also always listening. I love how you always listen to your coaches. One of the things that can be so hard for an athlete is understanding that the coach sometimes and the coaching team sometimes has to work on stuff that you think isn't a big deal, but they know is. So you've yeah. been a great interview. I think, it's a, I think it's very important for our readers to hear some of the thoughts that go on when you're fighting, before you're fighting, after fighting. It's all very important. You know, I say this a lot about, uh, you know, you know, coaching, you have to, you have to have a connection. You have to be able to connect with your coaches. Um, you know, some guys, some people, you know, they get, they might get a little scared or something when they hear somebody's coming, they're fighting a guy that's going to be coming from American top team or, yeah. you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. A big gym, but you got to remember, especially when we're fighting on the regional scene, guys that are in that gym, that doesn't necessarily meaning that they're training under the mic or you know what I mean Jackson Winkle John or you know what I mean it doesn't mean that they're working one-on-one -on -one with them them right. high level coaches um me personally I would rather work one-on-one -on -one with a coach that's going to dedicate his time to me right. and that during the camp mainly me you know what I mean and he's going to focus on on getting me ready and preparing me instead of training with a team that a coach is you know worried about training the guy that's in the UFC or training right. the guy that's in Bellator um, you have to have a personal connection with your coach. And that's that's probably the best part about coming from a smaller gym or coming from a gym that's not a big, well-known name gym. Um, I would, I, in my opinion, you know, I, I find that I, I like that. You know, even if I was to make the UFC or if I was to make Bellator under a signed contract, multi-fight contract, um, I'm not going anywhere. Right. I, I'm sticking with my team. I'm sticking with who I trust. You know, I'm, there's no problem with cross training, but coaching wise, you know, I trust my coaches. I have a connection with my coaches and we click. So that's who I'm that's who I'm working with. That's who I'm dealing with. Ethan, we always want to be respectful of the time that, that you give us. And we certainly appreciate um, you coming on here for uh, for a wrap up um, with that last fight. Um, it was certainly an enjoyable fight to watch. And uh, I know for myself and I, I'm probably speaking uh, for Luke, he may be in agreement with us also. We're definitely looking forward um, to to your next fight and, you know, fights down the road. So and we definitely wish you all the luck uh, and the best in uh, in your career. So. Uh, thank you very much. Like I said, it's my pleasure, man. Uh, anytime anybody ever wants to ask me questions or, or do any interview, I'm always open, uh, always available to talk. Um, you know, this is how you get your name out there. This is how people know who you are and know what you do. So uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity, and thank you guys for uh, having an interest in talking to me. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks again, Ethan. 
All right, good stuff. I'm glad we got to uh, to catch up with Ethan. As you uh, heard before, we mentioned that the next event for 247 Fighting Championships is going to be July 27th. Once we get closer and we get some information on fights that are announced, uh, we'll probably come out with a list of guys, fighters that we're going to be talking to. And if you've got anybody that you want to hear from, definitely uh, send us an email. You can get a hold of us at info at MMAfancast.com. So, again, we thank you for listening. And my name is Jim Mooney. My podcast partner is Luke Payson. And enjoy the rest of your day.